The following program does not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Reality Radio 101, its advertisers and sponsors, or its listening audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Urban Forestry Radio Show, here on Reality Radio 101. In this radio show and podcast, we learn about fruit trees, permaculture, arboriculture, and so much more. So if you love trees, and especially fruit trees, or if you're interested in living a more sustainable life, then this is the place for you. I'm your host, Susan Poisner of the Fruit Tree Care Training website, OrchardPeople.com. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner. To contact Susan live right now, send her an email in studio101 at gmail.com. And now, right to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner. Hi, everyone. In this radio show and podcast, we talk about fruit trees. We talk about how to grow them and how to care for them. But we rarely talk about how to make a fruit tree from scratch. Now, you may think I'm nuts for even mentioning it. After all, you can just plant a seed from your favorite apple and you'll get an apple tree. Johnny Appleseed did it. He planted thousands of apple trees in Pennsylvania and Ohio in the 1800s. But the resulting fruit might not have tasted very good. Now, that didn't matter at the time because apples then were mostly used for animal feed or for making cider. You see, the problem is that apples and many other different types of fruit, they don't grow true to seed. So for example, each seed in a delicious Honeycrisp apple will produce a genetically unique tree with genetically unique fruit. So if you wanna grow Honeycrisp apples or any other specific variety of fruit, you need to plant a grafted or a cloned tree. And we're going to learn we're going to learn how to do that in the show today with my guest Steph Roth of Silver Creek Nursery in Ontario. But before we begin, I would love to hear from you. Have you tried to graft fruit trees? Have you been successful? Are you passionate about grafting new fruit trees? And if so, why? Write us an email during the live show today with a comment with a question or just to say hi, and we'll enter you into today's contest. And the contest prize is a Victorinox stainless steel grafting knife donated by Silver Creek Nursery and valued at $40. So to enter the contest, just send us an email right now or during the show to instudio101 at gmail.com. And be sure to include your first name and where you're writing from. That's instudio101 at gmail.com. And I really look forward to hearing from you. So let's dig into today's topic. 
Steph, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Oh, well, thanks very much for inviting me. <laughs> it's so much fun to have you here. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit about your history. Like, did you graft fruit trees from when you were just like a little girl? Or is this a relatively newer thing for you? It's a little newer. Um, I'd say probably about five years ago would have been when I first started grafting. Um, and that was working for my cousin, who uh, my cousin Ken, who was the previous owner of Silver Creek Nursery. Um, I, but a couple of years ago, I had bought it over. So it's yeah, I haven't been grafting my whole life by any means, but I do have a good number of years under my belt. So uh, was it easy for you right away? Is no. grafting a new fruit tree like a super easy thing for a brand new person approaching it? Well, it's, it's um, practice. If, if you practice a lot, then you'll have better success for sure. Um, if you are going to just try and do it in one go, one cut, the first cut you ever make and try and make that one be the one, it probably will not take for you. Um, but yeah, practice makes a world of difference. And if you practice, you can, you can eventually get just about any, like within reason, but you can really do some cool things with grafting. So what was your progress like in the beginning? Um, well, the beginning I started with chip budding. Um, so that's grafting and done in the summer. And it's basically taking, um, just a bud, uh, from, from your budwood and, and inserting it into the trunk of your rootstock. Um, and that I would say, um, it, that one's a little easier to learn. Um, it, you're more secure in, in how you handle the, um, the materials and everything. Um, and if you start with simple varieties, for example, uh, Northern Spy is a very graft compatible um, variety and grafting onto um, Emla 106, which is also very graft compatible together. Um, you have a good chance of having success, even if your cuts aren't perfectly flush, which is kind of the key um, to having a good graft. You wanna make sure your cuts are matching perfectly. So, okay, we have our first email. We'll start off with this email from Elaine. So Elaine writes, hi, excellent program. Can you suggest where I can buy Canadian grown rootstock? <laughs> That's tricky. Uh, there is in Nova Scotia, I believe. I've been hearing there is a nursery there. I'm not sure. I'm not sure the name of it. Um, but yeah, that's something um, we've started our own stool beds because that's something that I really want. Um, I would like for us to have at some point is to have our own rootstock grown in our own spot off our own land. Um, so I would, I would actually, even if you just do a Google search, uh, Nova Scotia fruit tree nursery uh, selling rootstock, you'll probably find the right one. Um, but that would be where I would point you to. And I will, I'm going to tell you that I think it's Maple Grove Nursery. Yes, maplegrovenursery.ca. They are growing some Canadian, some rootstock that people can use. So thank you so much for your question. Um, now let's talk about grafting in general. So I, I said in my introduction that you can grow an apple tree from seed, um, but you're not, it's not going to be true to seed. So a grafted tree is made up of two pieces. One of the pieces is called a rootstock. Can you tell me what is a rootstock and what does it contribute to the final tree? Um, a rootstock is, uh, it'll be, well, it depends. There's, there's two different sort of types of rootstocks, rootstocks that are grown from seed and rootstocks that are clonally propagated. Um, so the seedlings will have a bit of variation with your end product just by the nature of it being a seedling, whereas your clonally propagated rootstock, you're going to have um, completely consistent results. Um, so 
and the rootstock essentially is is what it sounds like. It's the root part of the tree, and it's typically uh, like four to six inches above ground is where your graft union, and that's that's the site at which you would graft the two pieces together. Um, so your rootstock consists of a bit of trunk and then all the roots below. So that's part one. So now you take part two. Part two is the scion. So tell me, what is the scion and how is that different? So the scion, it's one year growth. So the, the tip end of a branch um, and the scion is going to be the cultivar, which is a cultivated variety, um, or it can be a wild variety too, for that matter. But the scion is going to be uh, the variety that you want the tree to grow into and produce fruit, um, for example, Honeycrisp or Gala or, or whatnot. Okay, so there you are at Silver Creek Nursery. And you, uh, how many fruit trees a year are you grafting uh, these days? Um, so it'll be between uh, myself and my uh, two, two people who help for the most part with grafting. So the three of us collectively in a year will graft um, anywhere from 17,000 to 20, I think this past year we did 24,000, which is the biggest, like in terms of scale, we are a small scale nursery. There's nurseries out there that are grafting, you know, hundreds of thousands of trees. Um, so we're just little peanuts, but uh, yeah, that's roughly the, the scale that we are. So 24,000. Lots of trees. How many different cultivars or varieties of fruits would you be doing, uh, you know, in that amount? There's um, there's a, around 150 different apples, um, and uh, they're mainly on three different rootstocks. We do, I guess, it's about five maybe apple rootstocks altogether. But for the most part, they're on um, either dwarf or semi-dwarf uh, between three Emla 106, B9, and B118. Um, so that's kind of the apples, um, pears, there's, I believe about maybe about 30 varieties of pears. Um, cherries is about 10 uh, apricots and plums, that'd be about 15 to 20. Um, and peaches, um, peaches for us are always a bit experimental um, just because we have in, in the spring um, when the tree, when the bud starts to grow from being grafted, uh, it, because you get that freeze thaw, what we've experienced is having issues, the bud will, will push and grow and then a frost comes and freezes it off and kills that. <laughs> so that's one thing um, we're trying some different techniques to try and, and mitigate that loss that way. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the, so the collective number of plants would be, I don't know, maybe around over 200 cultivars, I would say. Amazing. Okay. We got a couple of emails here, Steph. So let's have a look. One of them is from Michael. Michael writes, I'm writing from Perry Sound, Ontario. Love Susan's podcasts. I love growing fruit trees and love the idea of grafting. But for the average person, I'm wondering what they do with all their grafts. Most people only have so much room for trees. I feel like people can only graft so much before running out of room. What options are there? What a great question, Michael. Mm -hmm. uh, so definitely, I still would recommend, even for the home grower, if you've got, even if you've got three trees, it's still a great skill to have. The reason being, um, if ever, if ever, for example, um, you know, it's a really windy day and your tree snaps off at the graft union, which is absolutely unfortunate, but that can totally happen. Um, you can have, you can regraft your tree. 
if that happens, um, depending what time of year, you can even use that growth that has snapped off and regraft it directly if you catch it in time. Um, not to mention, if you want more varieties or more pollination options or things like that, you can directly graft onto your existing trees, which is um, which is really fun to do sometimes to have a, a Franken tree with like 10 different varieties on it or, or whatever. Um, I mean, there's a certain point where practicality comes into play for for a more larger scale situation, but for your home orchard, it's always it's fun to just have that different have those different options. I think all of those are great ideas. Like for instance, um, you know, Steph and I are going to be working on one tree in our orchard that was uh, vandalized, I think, or broken down somehow. And I let the rootstock grow. This is the Asian pear in our orchard. And so I've got a whole bunch of sprouts coming from that Asian pear. And I'm thinking, okay, I guess we'll dig it out this year. And Steph is saying, no, no, we will graft those. We will, you know, so I, I hear you on that, that, you know, I wish we had so much space. I could graft lots of new trees. Um, but uh, yeah, we can use the trees we have. And the other thing that I hope to be doing with newly grafted trees is giving them to people, neighbors and friends and, and spreading the love. So thank you for that question. We've also got a, a comment here from Dave listening from Toronto. Hello, happy belated family day to you. Thanks for the show today. I was very looking forward to it. So that's wonderful. So, okay. So we've, we know that our new trees are made up of two pieces and they've got the, the rootstock. Now uh, from a previous question, we know that you kind of, if you're making a standalone tree, not grafting onto your existing tree, you will have to buy that rootstock from somewhere. Here in Canada, there are sources in the United States. I know I've got a lot of listeners in the States. You can also get by that. But in terms of the scion wood, where do you get your scion wood from? You know, whether it's somebody like you, Steph, who does this professionally, or, you know, somebody like me who wants to get some scion wood from the neighborhood somehow. Mm -hmm. So in, in that case, um, you, yeah, you would either be for, for ourselves. I mean, we have, we have two test orchards now. Um, they're both about an acre and there's over 500 cultivars we have in there that are just sort of in testing and, and also for propagation use. Um, so having, you know, just word of mouth, sometimes knowing somebody you can get a cutting. Um, generally speaking, I mean, a cutting is just a stick. Um, so it's not like it's this challenging thing to get. It's more knowing the right people to ask ultimately. Um, larger scale operations, there's Summerlin Varieties, which is in BC. Um, and they, they would have, if you're looking to, you know, graft hundreds of trees or more, they would be a good source for cyanwood or budwood. Um, and just on that, budwood and cyanwood are essentially the same thing. They're that one year growth of the tree, but the cyanwood is the dormant version of it. And budwood is what we would use um, in, in the summer in August. Um, so it's, it's not dormant. Um, other sources, Bill O'Keefe um, in Ontario, he's got an amazing old heritage orchard with with tons of different varieties in it, uh, he would be an excellent resource to get sign wood from. Um, and yeah, even just asking around different people who you know might have fruit trees, uh, trading signs is, is totally a common thing to do. <laughs> so, okay, so I know that for instance, let's say a neighbor has a fabulous, uh, maybe an heirloom apple tree and I want to graft a branch onto my tree. What time of year would I collect the scion wood and how do I keep it until it's time to graft 
the new tree? So that will depend. Um, the, the main two sort of seasons for grafting in our climate um, would be either in spring. Um, so that'd be late spring uh, while, while you'd wanna collect while the plant is still dormant, or you'd wanna do it in summer. Um, and that would be around August. August for specifically for Southern Ontario, or I guess zone, zone five is kind of what we're, we're listed under. So in that time frame, um, I know down south of us, um, earlier in the summer, you'd be looking more at um, like July rather than going until August. But um, the August the August timing, uh, that's the trickiest because the budwood needs to be sort of uh, ripe, so to speak. Whereas in the winter, your wood's um, much easier to handle. It's not gonna dry out as fast when you cut it. Um, it's, it's, a lot, it's a lot more foolproof. Whereas in summer, having ripe, fresh budwood is, is uh, it's so important to having your grafting take. Um, so generally what I'd recommend, especially if you're new at it, is sticking with the spring grafting just because it's, it's easier. Um, there's less things to go wrong, basically. Uh, so that would be uh, cutting it typically late, um, late February or March is generally a safe time. But definitely before the buds start to swell and any dormancy is broken, you want to collect when everything is fully dormant. Okay, so there I am. I've got my hand pruners. I go out and I snip off some branches, just the new growth, not going back so far that the, the branch is so woody. I want the tender new growth. I'm going to snip off branches. And where do I keep them? Um, I know that you're supposed to, supposed to refrigerate them. And I've done that before. Guess what? I put it in the fridge where I have apples and whatever, all sorts of other stuff. And somehow it didn't work. So there is a trick to keeping your scion wood fresh until it's time to graft it. And what is that trick? Um, well, we just put ours in cold storage since we have that. Um, but I have heard people healing it in the ground. Um, you want to keep it cool and dark. Um, would that be the trick you're would be referring to it could be or just not putting it in the fridge with your apples <laughs> because yeah. uh, fruit and vegetables yeah. exude uh, gas that that I don't know what it does but it's not good for scion wood I think it makes the buds go permanently dormant is what I've been told we haven't we haven't really mm -hmm. tested that theory too much at our, at our right. nursery, but it's, yeah definitely keep I mean we just play it safe if there's any food stuff like that stays in a separate fridge than any any propagation material just to be on the safe side. I guess if you have a beer fridge in the basement or something, <laughs> you know, you know that there's nothing in there, but your scion wood, um, do you need to wrap it up and keep it moist or that doesn't really matter? Yes. You'll want to keep, um, you'll want to keep it moist, but you don't want it to mold. So what, what we do is take newspaper, dip it in water. You don't want it fully saturated, that it's a soggy layer of newspaper. It should just be lightly moistened. Um, and we just put um, label the sign. We'd always label it as soon as you get it cut, label, uh, wrap it up then in that damp newspaper and put it in a bag, um, a plastic bag. So you seal the moisture in. But if you do that, definitely check, um, especially if you haven't done this before, um, check it in a week and then check it in like two or three weeks. You want the wood to stay uh, moist, but definitely no mold. Um, so definitely check it. Uh, the first couple times you're storing cyan wood. If your wood goes moldy, then, you know, that's no good. And if your wood dries out, that's also no good. Uh, so yeah, those are the two key things you want to look out for. 
Okay, so now a couple more questions we've got here. One from London, Ontario from John. Hi, Susan. Great show as usual. I'm a big fan of Silver Creek Nursery. What semi-dwarf rootstock would Steph recommend for the Peterborough area? I understand different rootstocks have different characteristics. Mm -hmm. Yes, for sure. I'm, I'm wondering if this might be John Enright. If so, hello. <laughs> um, so for Peterborough, uh, I would rec you'd be fine with EMLA 106 or B118. Um, the main differences between the two is B118, I always recommend for zone three or more hardy, so colder. Um, it tends to be a larger tree, uh, but in the southern climates and especially with sandier soils, um, I know down in Michigan, I have an uncle who has an orchard and he, he has no patience for B118 because he finds that um, the, the, when it's warmer that way, the tree has so much vegetative growth, he doesn't get the fruit production off of it. Um, and also runs into some issues with, uh, he has really sandy soil with uh, root rot, so that's Phytophthora. And that, that is just, I mean, that depends a little bit on everybody's soil situations and everything. But um, MLA 106 is a really nice, uh, it's got really good graph compatibility. It's very versatile with what soil it's in and B118 is as well. Um, but just because in Peterborough, you'd probably be a zone four at the coldest, I would think. Um, so then I would, I would say probably the M106 will be your sort of best, best option. Like that's probably what I would go with myself. And I've got to apologize to all the listeners who are annoyed that the names of all these rootstocks are so boring, you know, <laughs> you know, M this, B that, but they're just different names for rootstocks with different qualities. Some are better for sandy soil, some are better for, you know, clay soil. So I apologize on behalf of the scientists that named those rootstocks. <laughs> so it's not Steph's fault. We're not going to blame her. <laughs> We've got a question from Grant. Hello, I'm new to all of this. What is a cultivar? What is a cultivar? A cultivar is simply a cultivated variety. So for example, if, uh, if you look and find an apple tree in the wild, that is not a cultivated variety. Whereas, you know, Honeycrisp, uh, Golden Russet, Grimes Golden, there's many, many, many cultivars, um, like hundreds and hundreds of cultivars. And, and that's just a variety that is in cultivation. As soon as you propagate it and cultivate it, then it becomes a cultivar. Exactly. And also, if you have like, let's say you find a wild apple tree and the, the apple is fantastic and you know it's wild, you can become rich because you'll graft the branches onto other trees. You'll name it after yourself, like Bob's apple tree or whatever. And it'll be the next Honeycrisp. Anyways, okay, bunch more questions. Uh, this one is from Lisa. Have you ever grafted fruit tree stock to street tree or shade trees? Is it possible? What a great question. Um, and so Lisa's from New Jersey. Okay, can you answer that question for us? Absolutely. So, so that's where you're gonna start to um, uh, look at you're going to need to have your species matching up. So if you have a street apple tree, um, then in theory, yes, you could graft apple onto that. If you have a shade tree, say maple tree, uh, and you try and graft apple onto that, you're not going to, it won't take, um, the, the, the tissues won't callus together um, and it'll, it just won't work. So general rule of thumb within species almost always works. 
there's a few different uh, outlying situations where that doesn't always work um, or there's less graph compatibility, I guess I could say. Um, on the flip side, there are certain species that you can mix. So there's sometimes apples and pears randomly will work. Um, quince is often used for a pear rootstock, um, but conversely then things, so Bartlett, which is a very common pear variety, probably most of you know, if you try and graft a Bartlett pear directly onto quince rootstock, uh, it will not work. So you have to put Old Home, which is another pear variety as an interstem. So you have your quince rootstock, your Old Home interstem, and then your, uh, sorry, your Bartlett on top. So there's ways around um, that sometimes, but typically, or in sum to the question of, can you graft directly onto a street tree? If the species match, most likely, if they don't match, then no, no not so much. <laughs> Such a great question. And also like I live near a ravine and there are some wild apple trees in the ravine. So, you know, that's a great uh, place for gorilla grafting. You can take some branches, branch them onto the crab apple trees or whatever in the ravine. Fabulous question. Okay, bunch more questions. Next one is Chris writes from Kent, the Garden of England, UK. Uh, so Chris writes, hi, Susan, I have stooled some M9 rootstock in preparation for grafting, basically from a few failed grafts from last year. In your guest's opinion, am I better grafting in the spring or letting them grow for another year and bud grafting this autumn? Also, if I graft in the spring, is it better to wait for the sap to start rising i.e. seeing the rootstock bug bud swelling slightly, or does this not make any difference? So Chris is really talking about timing uh, for grafting. So what is your recommendation, Steph? I would say it would depend. Um, so for the first part of this, um, initially, it would depend on the size that the um, stools, I'm assuming your stool bed, you've probably got um, shoots coming up now and they're probably about a pencil diameter thickness if it's just this first year that you've got the stools um, going. So uh, in this case, I would say you're going to want to harvest the stool beds first, I'm assuming, so that you don't have kind of a, a clump of shoots coming up. Um, if your plan was, um, yeah, I guess I'm assuming that's what you would be doing. So in that case, I would say you're going to want to harvest those um, those suckers or which become rootstock, but you're going to do that when it's dormant. I wouldn't recommend doing that in the middle of the growing season. That's just going to be really stressful on the, on the rootstocks. Um, so if you feel generally a pencil thickness size or bigger is ideal for grafting. Um, and, and if it's over, if it's much over, you know, even at three quarters of an inch, it's really not, uh, it's chunky and clunky and you can graft that size, but it's just, handling is more challenging. Um, so I would, I would say it depends ultimately on your, your stool beds diameter currently. If you think you can, if they're at a nice size to graft, then I would say, go ahead, you're going to want to cut them off under the, under the medium that you're growing them in so that you've got your nice portion of roots as well as your portion of trunk. Um, and then you could go ahead and graft them now. Um, yeah, there, there's different ways of doing it for sure. And you could even you could even chip bud them. You could leave them exactly as is, let them grow, chip bud them in summer. Um, just consider your trees are going to get, you know, your, your diameter of your rootstock of those suckers are going to get bigger each season. So 
um, you kind of want to hit it at the sweet spot that they're the right size for you for the method that you're grafting, which quarter of an inch, which would be um, about a centimeter thereabouts is kind of like great because um, that's the material. Again, you want to match up the material that you're going to be grafting onto. So you want to match the science um, is kind of the ultimate. So I guess that would consider, you know, there's a whole nother rabbit hole you could go down where if you're grafting from a really old tree that has, you know, it's kind of run down, it might have poor vigor. Uh, your scions might be more spindly, so it might actually be nicer to graft them now while the uh, shoots are a bit slimmer, perhaps, um, depending on your situation. So Chris is a little more advanced because he's not buying in his rootstock. He, this stool bed is made up of rootstocks he's growing out himself. So he's a little bit more advanced, but it's it's all like a jigsaw puzzle, isn't it? Um, you know, getting the right timing, getting everything so it all jives together, I think. Um, we have a question here from Lisa. Lisa says, you mentioned using the sprouts from your Asian pear to graft. I'm a little confused. Are the sprouts coming up? actual Asian pears, or are they just rootstock suitable for the use as, uh, as a graft for other fruits? And Lisa, so my answer is yes, our Asian pear tree broke, but the rootstock remained in the ground and it shot up some sprouts, some little skinny little sprouts, and we just kind of worked around it and we did other things. So no pears on them. It's it's a rootstock. Often rootstocks, you know, if you, they do produce fruit, you don't really want to eat it anyway. It wouldn't be very good. And so the idea that Steph said to me was, hey, this rootstock's been in the ground for quite a few years. This is a good, strong tree. So it might be really good to, to actually be grafting onto that rootstock. Have I got that right, Steph? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So we got two more questions, then we're going to... Uh, go to a little commercial break. Hello, Susan and Stephanie. This is from Jazz from Sudbury, Ontario. Hello, Susan and Stephanie. Fantastic information today. Just saying hello and please enter me into the contest. Mm -hmm. Okay, and one more question here we've got. This is from Brooke. No, this is from Douglas. Hi, what kind of bench graft do you prefer? So that's Douglas's question. And after the break, we're going to talk a little bit more about bench grafting. But uh, yeah, what would you say uh, to Douglas? Um, I would say whip and tongue is a nice, um, easygoing grafting method, like for bench grafting that I would go with. Um, there again, it can depend on, um, on the situation. Uh, so sometimes, um, well, I guess, Short answer, bench crafting would be my go-to uh, for most anything, typically. All right, super. Um, I just wanted to say that on Facebook, there were so many fantastic comments about why people graft. I just wanted to share a couple of them. Uh, why do people do it? And this goes back to, I think it was Michael's question. So here we have Art from Minnesota. He writes, grafting allows me to grow obscure varieties. There's also something special about eating an apple from a tree you planted, much like catching a fish on a homemade fly or lure. The trees we graft ourselves are special, at least for us home orchard people with only a few trees. And Glenda writes, she's in Vancouver Island. She writes, I love that a special tree can be propagated, whether the variety is known or not. It could be an unknown variety or seedling that someone's grandfather treasured with really good qualities. 
And of course, preserving diversity is a great thing. Imagine just being stuck with supermarket varieties. Henry from some central Wisconsin says, grafting is a lot cheaper than buying a three-year-old tree. And then uh, Steve's comment was interesting. I'm not sure where Steve's from, but he says, grafting opens up tons of options. If a variety doesn't suit you, you can top work it with others that suit you better and get fruit in half the time versus planting a brand new young tree. Grafting allows you to select amongst thousands of apple varieties. And Steve says, on pawpaws, I graft two or three different varieties into the tops of each tree to assist pollination, because that can be iffy with pawpaws. So Steph, um, we have talked about some basics. I want to go into bench grafting in the second part of the show, but let's take a few minutes to hear from our sponsors and you are one of them, Silver Creek Nursery. Um, so are you okay holding the line for a minute or two? Absolutely. Okay. Thank you so much. So you are listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show and Podcast brought to you by the Fruit Tree Care Training website, orchardpeople.com. This is Reality Radio 101, and I'm Susan Poisner, author of the Fruit Tree Care book, Growing Urban Orchards, and we'll be back right after the break. Did you know that Susan Poisner of OrchardPeople.com teaches fruit tree care courses online? Here's a testimonial from Roger, a student from Howe Island, Ontario. Some years ago I retired and I wanted to have some fruit trees, so I did the usual. I went to the big box stores and, and bought what they had and I planted them and I had some successes but more failures. In fact, I was almost ready to give up when I discovered Susan's online course. It taught me a lot of what I thought I knew but didn't know. It's in uh, bite-sized pieces that you can easily understand and you can review the course whenever you want. Last year I had such success that this year I had to do very little in terms of pest management, either with insects or with disease. If you want to grow organic fruit trees, join Susan for a workshop at orchardpeople.com workshops. For 10% off tuition, use the discount code PODCAST. If you're listening to this show, you are passionate about fruit trees. But do you care how your trees are grown? Silver Creek Nursery is a family-owned business, and we grow our fruit trees sustainably using only organic inputs. We stock a huge range of cultivars, like Wolf River, an apple tree that produces fruit so large you can make an entire pie with just one apple. We also carry red-fleshed apples, like Pink Pearl, as well as heirloom and disease-resistant varieties of apples, pears, apricots, cherries, and more. We ship our trees across Canada, and we can also supply you with berry canes and edible companion plants to plant near your trees. At Silver Creek Nursery, we grow fruit trees for a sustainable food future. Learn more about us at silvercreeknursery.ca.
If you're thinking of planting fruit trees and you're looking for a wide selection of cultivars, consider Wiffle Tree Nursery. Our 62-page full-color catalog includes over 300 varieties of fruit and nut trees, berries, grapes, and other edible perennial plants. Not only that, in our catalog we help you through the selection process with tips and advice about all aspects of growing fruit trees. You can learn about adding nitrogen-fixing plants, rootstock choices, and even about planting a windbreak if you have a windy site. We're a one-stop shop as we sell fruit tree care books, pruning tools, organic sprays, and natural fertilizers. We're located in Alora, Ontario, but we can ship all over Canada. Call us at 519-669-1349 to order your catalogue. That's 519-669-1349. Whiffle Tree Nursery. Call us today. Welcome back to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101. To get on board right now, send us an email. Our email address is instudio101 at gmail.com. And now, right back to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner. You're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show and Podcast, brought to you by the Fruit Tree Care Training website, orchardpeople.com. This is Reality Radio 101, and I'm your host, Susan Poisner, author of the Fruit Tree Care book, Growing Urban Orchards. In the show today, we're talking about grafting fruit trees. In the first part of the show, we explored the role that rootstock and scion wood play in creating a new tree. And in a minute, I want to talk in a little bit more detail about bench grafting and how that works. My guest on the show today is Steph Roth, owner of Silver Creek Nursery in Ontario. Steph, I am proud to say, is one of the sponsors of this radio show. So if you like this show, send us an email right now to say thank you to Steph for helping bring this show to you over the years. We so appreciate her support. Now, as an extra bonus, if you do write us during the live show, we will enter you into today's contest to win a Victoria Knox stainless steel grafting knife valued at $40. To enter the contest, all you have to do is write us at instudio101 at gmail.com and be sure to include your first name and where you're writing from. That's instudio101 at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Now back to Steph. Okay, Steph, we were talking about bench grafting. What is bench grafting exactly? So bench grafting, um, it's, it's done uh, typically at a bench, <laughs> as the name suggests, um, and it's done with dormant, um, dormant materials. So um, there are different types of bench grafting. Whip and tongue is typically the most common, um, but, but essentially bench grafting uh, is done with dormant stock and often, um, as whip and tongue is considered a type of bench grafting and you can graft whip and tongue directly onto a tree. Um, there's, it's not 
all, you know, it's not conclusive to say bench grafting is only ever done at a bench, but it often is done at a bench. So we're talking about, you mentioned whip and tongue grafting, a very scary name for something mm -hmm. that actually, when you think about it, it's kind of simple. Um, it's kind of like a jigsaw puzzle. Again, I mentioned that earlier. So how do you describe what whip and tongue grafting is? What are you trying to do? Um, essentially what you're trying to do is, uh, is cut the material to expose the inner um, layers of the tree, the inner, um, you know, the, there's the bark and then the cambium is inside the bark. And then you have um, the woody, um, woody tissue inside that and then the pith in the very center. So you want to uh, make a diagonal cut across the pieces of material, the rootstock and the scion, um, and that cut will expose those surfaces. The, the cell division will, um, the cambium um, produces cells that will uh, divide and, and form callus tissue, which will then heal the two cut surfaces together to become one, um, one tree, basically. So, okay, so basically you're going to have two pieces of tree. You've got your rootstock, you've got your scion wood, and they have to have a matching cut. Mm -hmm. um, so one is inverted or something. I definitely <laughs> like a jigsaw puzzle. Um, so that's a skill uh, that, that, that you need to learn in order to do that. What tools do you need in order to do that jigsaw cut? Is it enough to just have a good sharp, sharp knife? Does any knife work? Um, ideally, a single bevel knife is, is preferred, but it's not mandatory. Um, the biggest import or the most important thing is to have a very, very, very sharp knife. Um, say you get a brand new knife, still sharpen it and, and just get it like razor sharp. And then you're gonna find your cuts are much, um, much easier to do. They'll be much smoother. You'll be able to move through the wood better. Um, and you'll have a better chance of success. Um, so really having a sharp blade is key. Okay, so with whip, whip and tongue, let's say I imagine inside my mind's eye, let's say one of the cuts is a V and another, you know, the, the like a U shape and the other is sort of a V and they slide together. Is it possible to do uh, some sort of bench graft where each cut is just an angle? Why do you need the tongue sticking out? Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. You definitely can do sort of just the whip without the tongue. Um, the tongue just adds a huge amount of stability. Um, so we have we have grafted, and that's actually one way how we used to graft um, was just doing that whip and then tying it together, like just the diagonal cut. Um, however, we actually are this year. Now we're going to start switching and adding that tongue in, just because it adds so much stability um, and it's a bit more area. Uh, surface area for callus tissue to form on. Um, and it, it just creates a slightly stronger graft at the end of the day. It's still very strong just doing the whip, like that's, that's totally acceptable. But for handling it and wrapping it afterwards, it's much easier with the tongue there because um, it will basically create, you know, when you interlock them together, they'll hold whether your fingers are holding it or not, if you've done it correctly. Um, so that just, that really makes the graft a lot more sturdy. Okay, so you've got your two pieces, they fit together perfectly, because of course, you've done your perfect cut. Um, how, they'll, they'll fall apart. Like, how do you have, how do you stick these pieces together so that they stay until they kind of grow together to become one tree to fuse into one tree. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the second part of grafting. And this is with 
pretty much any type of grafting, after you've made those cuts, you wanna wrap it with something. Um, this is partly to help hold it securely, but it also helps to keep um, excess moisture. You know, if it rains on your graft, you don't want that water getting in between anything. You want that completely to just shed off. Um, and you don't want any bacteria, wind, dust, anything like you want uh, to keep sort of a, as clean as an environment around the graft site union as possible. Um, so there's, there's different things you can wrap wrap the graft with. Um, you can use anything as basic as um, a, an elastic cut in half, you know, any type of elastic virtually um, that's made out of natural rubber. Cut it, um, sorry, not in half, but cut it so that it's just one string basically. And then you can use that to bind, um, twist around the cut site, um, the graft union, and, and hold them together. Um, then you would apply a grafting wax, which would seal the nooks and crannies basically. and uh, and that would be an option that way. Um, however, what we've moved to uh, is using buddy tape. So it's a biodegradable, uh, very, very stretchy picture saran wrap or something like that, um, but much, much stretchier than saran wrap. And you wrap that around the tree and the, the brand that we use is biodegradable. So it, it does just come off after about a year, which is great. If you don't have a biodegradable um, material that you're using, you know, elastics included, you want to make sure that you remove that wrapping because it can girdle the tree. Um, so check the graft, you know, a graft typically takes in warm weather um, about two weeks to form that initial layer of callusing, but it does take a little longer to, for it to harden off fully. Um, so if you check it in, you know, you could check it in two weeks time, I wouldn't recommend taking the wrapping off just in case you bump it. I would just give it, you know, about two months. After two months, it'll have hardened well enough that you can safely, or midsummer, you can remove the, um, the wrapping, whatever it be, the elastic and wax or the buddy tape and, and let it grow from there. Or if you, again, use biodegradable, you should be fine. Still check it. Um, it's, it's good to always double check and just make sure that there's nothing uh, constraining growth. You want to make sure that the tree can grow and expand naturally, but that's, yeah. Okay, so we got some uh, questions here. This one is from Chris from the UK. Okay, so hi, Susan, loving your show. Is there a suitable rootstock that gets around the issue of replant disease? I would like to replace some trees in an old orchard that that is well past their prime 60 plus years. So a bunch of old trees in an orchard. Ideally, I would like to have a tree that would be easily pickable but not have to permanently stake them. Any suggestions? So this is for rootstock for to plant in an old orchard for a pickable tree. So it sounds like um, Chris is looking for maybe a dwarfing tree, but something that doesn't need staking. Mm -hmm. um, if you're looking for a dwarfing tree that doesn't need staking, um, Emla 26 would be your best option that way. It's still debatably a stake won't hurt it. It, it is, it's a, it's a big dwarf and a small semi-dwarf. It's kind of right in the middle there. Um, otherwise something like um, Emla 106 is kind of my, my go-to what I would recommend. However, the UK climate, it, I would actually recommend talking to a nursery or a grower in your area um, to get a better idea that way. As to replant um, disease. So I don't know of any rootstocks that are particularly outstanding in that area. What I would, what I would be inclined to do is um, really focus on boosting your soil health. Um, your soil will break down the bad guys. It'll get more of the good guys. If you can just load it with all kinds of beneficials and, and really focus on soil health, 
then you should be able to replant trees and they should be healthy and it should all be great. Absolutely. I think that's such a great um, suggestion. And, and in an earlier show, we talked about uh, some foliar sprays that you can do by spraying your trees, you're actually helping to enhance the soil. So go back to that episode of the urban forestry radio show about foliar sprays that might also help this old orchard. The next uh, message you're going to love Steph. it's from Mason. And Mason's done in big, beautiful letters. Thank you, Silver Creek. Thank you. Thank you for being a sponsor. That's so nice, Mason. I so appreciate that. (laughs) That's from the listeners. He's representing all all our listeners. Um, Mm -hmm. Now we've got an email here from Dot in Stratford. Hi, all. Thanks for the show. It was a very wet summer and a couple of my self-grafted trees from your workshop from a few years ago had the stem trunk fall over at the end of the summer. Is it root rot? Can I save them or do I need to just start over? If it's root rot, then the tree will be dying from the ground up. So if right around, like, you know, you could scuff the snow back, um, see, you should be able to scratch right at the ground level and you scratch that first layer of, of bark off and there should be bright, bright green cambium. That's that layer of, of um, that the cell division happens with. And, and that's a very important layer, that cambium layer. Um, if it's just brown and black, then what's gonna happen in spring, your trees still might leaf out as the energy comes up and moves out throughout the branches and it'll just have that one last burst of energy and then that's gonna be it. But if your trees, yeah, so ultimately check at the very base of them. Um, If it's green, you should be okay. If it's brown or even even slightly discolored um, then and it's at the base of the tree, Uh, then likely it is a root rot. And in that case, I would say if the top of the tree is still, um, like if the wood's still nice and plump, if the cambium layer is green, you should be fine to use that material. That science was essentially science now and regraft and just get rootstock. Um, And then I would say change your planting location uh, for sure to something with a little bit better draining of soil. Or, I mean, you can always try and work with the soil you've got, but that's a little more challenging and Actually, Susan has a great course <laughs> that I would recommend uh, uh, trying out for that. Um, but yeah, I, I would just check out the trunk and, and see. And you can always um, connect as well. I mean, outside the outside this podcast as well. And actually, I'd be curious to see how that see what the verdict is in that in that case. So we've been talking about bench grafting. We've been talking about whip and tongue grafting on in a previous conversation, Steph, you and I were chatting about the scion. So you've got your rootstock or you've got your existing tree you're, you're uh, grafting onto. What surprised me was the length of the scion that you actually need. There's a part of me that thinks, oh, a longer piece is is better. So I'm, I'm cutting a piece from a fruiting tree that I like. So let's say it is a Macintosh apple tree. I I cut a piece that's maybe as long as a pencil. I'm going to graft that on to my existing tree or to my rootstock. But you surprised me as to how long is the ideal length of that piece of scion? How long should it be? Can you tell me a little bit about that? Hmm, For sure. So it, it should, um, ideally, ultimately, you want, you know, between one and three buds, any more, and that depends. I know there's some, some varieties, the buds will be spaced out longer and some of the buds will be, you know, uh, an inch or three centimeters together or, or tighter. Um, 
So that is your ultimate, like how many buds you're getting is your ultimate decision of length. But that typically ends up being um, about maybe five, between five and eight centimeters or two to three inches thereabouts. Um, so really, if you were really tight on cyanwood and you have a prized variety and you're desperately trying to get as many trees out of it, you can take just one bud and, and have, you know, if you're, you've got your slash cut, your, your, um, your graft union and say uh, two centimeters above the, the lowest cut. So like, as in, so your slash is typically about an inch. So that's about two and a half centimeters long that you're, that you're gonna be doing for your whip and tongue. Um, even if you have a bud that is on, how can I describe this? On the other side of your cut angle, um, that, that is a viable bud. I don't recommend necessarily banking on that all the time, just because when you're wrapping it, you're gonna be covering it up um, and it's gonna to have to fight through layers to get out. So I tend not to count buds like that, but they, they do end up often growing for us when we go back through and have to prune all the little suckers off the side. Um, so yeah, short answer is about two to three inches or you know five to, uh, five to eight centimeters. Um, or ultimately you want, want one to three buds. If you have more than three buds, that's not a good thing either though. So you don't want your sign to be too long. The reason being um, that little chunk of wood has a, has a certain amount of energy in it. And um, if you have a really long cyan wood, all those buds are gonna be pushing and using up that energy really fast in spring. And uh, what can happen is it'll actually deplete sort of the energy source stored in the cyan wood before the, the tissues fully callous and the fluids from the rootstock, you know, before the graft fully heals and becomes one tree. Um, and you can actually end up having the top part of your tree sort of expend all that energy and, and dry up sort of thing, um, just because it doesn't, um, it doesn't have enough energy quick enough to support um, all those excessive buds. So that's why you want to kind of keep it topped up at no more than three buds, generally our rule of thumb. Amazing. So I kind of thinking of, I'm thinking of it like, okay, you have a family. If you have three children, each child is going to need, you know, to go to school, they're going to need lunches, they're going to need whatever higher education, maybe whatever. <laughs> if you've got one kid, you can put all the energy into that one kid, they get more money for education, they can get better lunches, I don't know, whatever. But maybe that's kind of what it is, the fewer buds, then you're you are banking on you've got less chances in a way, but the, the one or two buds left get the energy that's there. And I find that really fascinating that a little tiny little piece of branch from a tree that produces yummy fruit will eventually grow into this huge trunk for a full-size tree that will feed you and your family for generations to come that's amazing isn't that amazing or is this just oh, me definitely oh no i i think it's fantastic <laughs> uh -huh. i i think yeah it is it's crazy it totally is it's amazing. So Steph, in a minute, we're going to do, we're going to find out who wins the contest, but you've been doing this now for a good few years. Does it, do you still find it exciting? Is it fun for you? It's relaxing. It's so peaceful. It's, it's my, it's my, you know, running the business and doing all the organizing. And oh, blah, blah, blah. Like it just goes on and on. But if I can have a day where I just sit and graft all day, it's just, it's wonderful. Like you just relax into it and you get a flow going. 
it's really nice. Um, I would say it's, it's fun adding new varieties. I've actually between this year and last year, like, well, 20 and 20, 2020 and 2021, I've, I've added over 150 new varieties to the test orchard. So that's, that's a whole like sort of side thing. It's so fun and, and it's almost addictive to, to try all these different old and some of them new, you know, varieties of fruit. Um, but the actual act of grafting, I find to just be satisfying. Like it's, it's relaxing and it's, it's nice. It's a very nice pastime. It's your happy place. Yes, <laughs> your happy place. So one more question has come through. This is from Mike from Hammond, Ontario. Ooh, sorry about that. I have a question about the timing of grafting. When would be the latest a tree can be grafted in a year, in a year? So the latest window for grafting a fruit tree. Um, so there you'd be looking at um, usually by the second week of September. That pretty much is the cutoff. And I would only leave apples and pears that late. Um, the reason being they're a little bit tougher and generally they're a little easier to graft than some of the stone fruits. Um, but you want to have at least two weeks for the tree, um, for the graft to callus before, you know, you've got frost and stuff like that. So if it's already, you know, cooling off early September and you're starting to get, see more cool weather, um, then, you know, the sooner the better for sure. Um, but I know um, in the past, actually, um, one of Ken's last uh, year's budding, I think it was like the second week of September, he was budding and that's about as late as we've ever tried it. Um, generally, I recommend sticking with August if you can though. That's sort of just, it's a bit safer. So for, for folks who are keen to try this, um, they, we've, we've demystified it a little bit. I understand that you have a grafting kit where they can buy like a knife, mm -hmm. some grafting tape. What's in that kit and how much would that cost at Silver Creek Nursery? Um, I, it's, it costs around $50. I actually don't know off the top of my head. But if you go onto our website, which is just silvercreeknursery.ca and type in the little, in the little search icon at the, on the right top corner um, and type grafting kit, you'll find it. Um, it might it might be 55 or something. I don't know. Um, but it has, it has a little handout that has, um, actually I'm, I'm working on updating that to include a bit more information. Um, but it has, it has a handout that has basically how to graft, um, and sort of explains the different options that you have. Uh, it has grafting knife and it has buddy tape. Um, if you're doing chip budding, uh, so that's the summer grafting, then you would use a different, you'd still use the same knife. Uh, you would just use a different, um, different fastener, so to speak, uh, a different thing to hold the grafted material in place, uh, which, which you can always email in and if you have questions and ask and we can help direct you to it. Um, and, and we have the summer um, grafting rubbers, I guess is kind of what we call them, um, but we sell those as well on the side. Um, so you can kind of tailor it to what, you, what you're needing. And they're grafting, uh, wrapping like the buddy tape or the grafting rubbers are both very economical. Like they're, I think under $5 for 50, you know, rubbers or whatever. So they're, they really, they go quite a long ways. Um, so you can always get whatever you need if you need something different than what the kit has. All right. Well, it's time. It's time for our contest. Do we have Gary in the studio? Gary? I am here. Yes. Are you ready? Yes, now, Steph, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to shake the bucket. You'll be able to hear the bucket over your earpiece. And you tell me when to stop, and then I will draw out a piece of paper, okay? Are you ready? Okay. Here we Sounds go. Good. I'm ready. 
Okay, ready. All right, hold on. Let me dig in here. And it's Chris V from Kent, UK. <laughs> Chris, oh my gosh. Nice. Chris is far away. Okay, wow. Lucky Chris. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. So we will figure out how to send you your grafting knife all the way over there. We'll, we'll, Steph and I will figure that out, but we are so mm -hmm. happy that you participated and that everybody participated today. I'm sure there's a bunch of other people a little disappointed that they didn't get it because that's a nice <laughs> grafting knife. What color is the handle? Is it the red handle or the green handle, that one? Um, it is It is the red handle. Uh, we don't have, the green ones haven't come in yet. They should be coming okay. in virtually any day, but red I otherwise think, would be the default. I think the red handle is snazzier myself, actually. I'm kind of a red handle girl. So there you go. <laughs> um, thank you so much, Chris. We will send you an email to get your address. And that's wonderful. So Steph, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. I really, really appreciate it. And um, we, I continue to look forward to learning with you about grafting. I hope you had fun on the show. Oh yes, definitely. That was awesome. I, I really enjoyed that. And, and again, too, for, for others, if, if there are any questions, I'm always happy to answer them. Um, you can just shoot me an email, staff at silvercreeknursery.ca. Um, so feel free to get in touch if any, there's any other questions anybody has. Fantastic. So that, of course, is the one and only Steph Roth of Silver Creek Nursery in Ontario. So did you enjoy the show today? If you want to listen again or download a previous episode, all you have to do is go to orchardpeople.com slash podcast. And if you're interested in grafting, you may also want to check out episode number 45, where I chat with Sam Van Aken, the creator of the Tree of 40 Fruits. He's an artist and grafting enthusiast. He's a very interesting person as well. Also, did you know that I also post videos with edited versions of these shows? So you can find them on Orchard People's YouTube channel. Be sure to subscribe to get access to the new videos right away. And in the next few days, I'm going to do uh, an excerpt of this radio show, a 10 minute excerpt. So you'll be able to see Steph and I talking. We'll have some visuals to show you and that'll be fun. So that's all for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. And I hope you'll join me again next month. We are going to have another great topic. And in the meantime, I'll see you then. Have a great month, everybody. Bye for now. You've been listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show on Reality Radio 101. To learn more about the show and to download the podcast where I cover lots more great topics, you can visit orchardpeople.com slash podcast. The show is broadcast live on the last Tuesday of every month. And each time I have great new guests talking to me about fruit trees, food forests, and arboriculture. If you're interested in learning more about growing your own fruit trees or just about living a more sustainable life, go to orchardpeople.com and sign up for my information-packed monthly newsletter. 
If you like this show, please do like our Orchard People Facebook page. You can also follow me on Twitter at at Urban Fruit Trees. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's been wonderful to have you as a listener, and I hope to see you again next time. Thank you for listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101.